Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode discusses topics that some people might find challenging. If you think that might be you, then check the show notes before listening and please do look after yourselves. This week we're talking about nutrition and stigma, how weight stigma affects society and medicine, the origins and problems with using BMI to determine health, and what doctors might sometimes be missing about our relationships with food. Joining me this week is Dr. Joshua Woolrich. Josh is an NHS doctor and the author of best-selling book, Food Isn't Medicine. He dedicates a lot of his time online to debunking bogus claims about nutrition, or as he calls them, nutribollocks, and helping people sort fact from fiction when it comes to diet claims we've all heard. It all boils down to this this thought that our health is completely under our control and that our health is a personal responsibility. And it's not. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. That's all right. Thank you for inviting me. Nice to chat. Yeah, I'm excited to chat to you um, after, yeah, reading your book very recently and then immediately almost forcing it into the hands of my friend Liv to be like you need to read this book <laughs> everybody needs to read this book I was very very excited by what I felt I learned from it that's not see that that's what I'm I'm loving hearing those I was I, I was always slightly worried when kind of writing it and releasing it that it was I was going to be proud of it but no one else was going to really care um you know you, you think of these things of the things that you create don't you but of course. hearing people passing it on is like really means a lot to me that's 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 what I always wanted like if I had to if I had to have said what did I want the most it would be for people to read it and then go you read this too this is like this is this is great so that yeah that's exciting to me I like that so we're obviously talking about your book um food isn't medicine and you are of course a doctor but could you maybe tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to be so passionate about sort of dispelling these myths around nutrition and food yeah well how far back do you want to go how far <laughs> back do you want to go <laughs> <laughs> well when I was uh six um no I wouldn't put that up or back um but uh but I might touch on some of my kind of early teenage years because I think it's it's relevant in terms of um wh- where I've come from and, and kind of why I do what I do now um but I think from a social media perspective I I started my kind of social media account and getting involved in kind of online spaces just out of medical school. Um, And it wasn't for people that don't know me, but kind of roughly know what I talk about now, it would be, it might be a bit of a surprise to know that it started as a, as a full on weight loss account. Mm. Um, And I had grown up a larger kid than most. I'd gone through medical school um, being classed as a beast on the BMI scale and, and believing that when I left, I was, I was kind of, I was going, well, I want to be a really good doctor like that. That's kind of the point. I was like, I'm not, I'm, I've gone through all this stuff. I'm revising for these exams. And I was like, I feel like my weight is holding me back. And I thought that 
being fat meant that I couldn't be a good doctor. Mm. And I'm not really entirely sure where that had where that had come from. I wasn't entirely sure how that had become ingrained. Um, I know that I'd internalized a lot of the stigma that I'd received over the last kind of decade around my size, starting to believe that I was lazy, starting to believe that I wasn't worth anything, that I'd never have kind of long-term relationships, even though I was in a long-term relationship, because that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Mm. Um, But it kind of spilled out into believing that I therefore couldn't give health advice because I thought, well, it makes me a hypocrite. Um, Mm. and it was, it, it, looking back on it, it's really sad that that was the, that was the feeling that I had, but it became this weird motivation of like, well, if I'm going to be a good doctor, then I have to lose weight. Um, I owe it to myself. I owe it to my patients. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was not fun. Um, it doesn't sound fun. (laughs) No, no. Well, it gets better. Um, (laughs) I I started the, um, the, uh, well, I'd say better in a slightly British sarcastic way, but, um, I started the, um, the, the social media account essentially to capitalize on using shame to keep me accountable, which again, that's what I meant by it gets better. (laughs) Oh, it just, Um, it makes me hurt for you. Well, it's just. I mean, I'm not the only one. Like it's, you know, no, you, I know. You, you that's, look on social media, it's, it's what weight loss accounts are. Like if we're honest, like it's, it's, I'm going to post really healthy food because, um, I want to, I want to make sure that people know I'm eating good food. And if I eat something bad, I, I'll, I'll post about it and then people will tell me off and then I'll, I'll remind myself I shouldn't have eaten something bad in quotes, obviously. Um, I mean, it was all a lie because I just didn't post the stuff that I thought I was going to be condemned about, right? Like, so I did, it was so, from going, from from starting thinking I was a hypocrite from being a fat doctor to actually being a hypocrite online was the irony there of yeah. just going, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I created this account. It was called Unfattening. I thought I was really clever um, in terms of the name. Um, and I I went down these routes of of essentially hiding some really disordered eating behaviors that I was that I developed that I was kind of undertaking because I thought that losing weight and being thin was what I needed to achieve at all costs um and like I I felt like my career rided on it um and I I got to a point where I I just had a really crap relationship with food like Mm. it wasn't it wasn't good every every decision I made around food was based on fear it was all based on whether or not I thought it was going to make me fat it was based on whether or not I had it would fit within my calorie counting for the day or for the week um it was incredibly stressful and I started coming across accounts that talked about actually uh, the relationship with food being a thing because I hadn't really thought about that before I just thought of food as food I didn't think about having a relationship with it and these accounts were talking about low calorie ice creams and items that I just in a way that I'd never thought about I'd always thought of things like low calorie ice creams as being amazing things they were like yeah this is these this is nothing but good it's perfect like I can eat ice cream and I won't get fat and I don't have to feel guilty about it anymore and these accounts were going well why are you feeling guilty in the first place like why why do you need to replace uh, an item of food with something else that that is only okay for you because it's labeled as low calorie why are you being encouraged to binge eat and eat the entire tub of something because you can you're allowing yourself to in quotes when actually it would you'd have a much better relationship with food if you were eating in moderation and and respecting your fullness around normal ice cream like why why are you 
placing this on a pedestal to the other. And I was like, no, I don't like this, this line of thinking. I don't want to admit it. This is not That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is this, n- no, thank you. Um, but for some reason I, I, it, it resonated with me. I couldn't ignore it. And I, I, I accosted people who were talking about this stuff and went and met them and, and, and I slowly fell into this thing of actually, you know what, this stuff matters. This stuff is really important. And I also then started challenging my my beliefs that had had become ingrained um, around my weight and around what that meant in regards to whether or not that was the the, the defining factor in my health, um, whether it defined my worth. And it's it's been a a, a wonderful, if not stressful, journey <laughs> um, since then, and one that is one that is still continuing. Um, but it's it's one that shapes my my work online. It's one that. And, and I do kind of think of it as work now rather than just having a social media account because I, this stuff is um th- this stuff challenges people's preconceptions around their health and their and and their food and I, I think this stuff is is really good to be having conversations about um and essentially that's what my book is um with yeah. the added nuance of you know what I think there's a theme here as to why we treat food, why, why we put food on a pedestal and why we believe all of these lies around food when it not just comes to our weight, but comes to our health. And I think that that um, that statement of food is medicine is one that that goes throughout this, which is why I, I called the book Food Isn't Medicine. Um, half semantics and also half like this is an important thing to be talking about. Yeah. I mean, while we're saying that, mm. Do you want to give a small overview of, you know, what do you mean when you say food isn't medicine? What are you trying to break through with that title? What are we getting wrong? When I say that, a lot of people go, well, but food is can be really good for us. And I'm like, yeah, no, it can. Like, that's fine. Like it's this this statement of food isn't medicine isn't meant to disregard the impact that food can have and that food can be really, really useful. And food can, um, even in some circumstances, potentially be therapeutic in the way that um, it gets used. But it's not medicine. Um, there are some very, uh, we can go into kind of the, the semantics of specific definitions of medicine. But actually, I think the more important conversation is, what does that phrase food is medicine actually lead to? Because it doesn't lead to people having a newfound respect for food and having an understanding of what food can do in context of the wider narrative and how our food and how our diet patterns are important, things like that. It doesn't do that. What it makes people think is it makes people think that food can cure you of stuff. It it gives people this assumption that food can be like medicine because the statement is food is medicine Mm -hmm. and so it makes us think that we can replace drugs with it it makes us think that we can replace traditional medicine with food rather than an understanding that they can go hand in hand and they can go side by side but one doesn't replace the other and I've seen and I continue to see an awful lot of the misinformation that gets spread around food and our health relying on this fact of food as medicine um, if we just take, if we, we take some of the, some of the more extreme, but I think it is important to address some of them because they are real and they're there. We talk about things like celery juice, curing cancer or detoxing your liver or curing skin conditions to believe that you kind of have to believe that food is medicine. If you realize that food isn't medicine, but it's important, then the, the whole celery juice curing you just doesn't make sense anymore. Like it's, it's, it, it relies on that being true. And so that was one of the reasons why I think it's so important to challenge that because there's so much harm that gets done, not just online, but also just between friends when you're trying to share things that you think are right and it, and it, you, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to help other people, but it's coming from a place of not really understanding this, this in a wider context. And, and you go, well, actually, you know what, I've, 
I've been taking turmeric supplements and they're really good because they reduce inflammation. And so you should probably like recommend them to your mother because she's got arthritis and that'd be great for her. And, and it just, it just escalates. And before you know it, you're no longer just taking turmeric supplements, but you've, you know, you've, you've got this lump on your thyroid and, and then you go and see somebody and they recommend that you change your dietary pattern because actually food is causing your thyroid issues apparently. And, and it Mm. becomes so easy to believe this stuff because we start, we start with a little, a little pea-sized like lack of nuance, lack of understanding, lack of context, and suddenly it balloons into this thing of believing that food can replace medicine, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I say like it's it's half semantics and it's half not because people will go, well, that's not that's not what I believe when I say food is medicine. I'm like, that's great, but that's what people are picking up from it, and that's you know we might get to a point in the future where that phrase doesn't mean doesn't matter. We could use it, but not only do I do I believe it's just inaccurate but it's causing a lot of harm um and if things are causing harm the outcome matters more than our intent a lot like i I would argue that till the cows come home like it doesn't and a bit like my name like my, my original instagram name being unfattening there was a point where i wasn't talking about weight loss anymore but i still kept the name because i was like well it's it's attracting the right people and i liked it and my ego didn't want to let go of it and i had to kind of go well actually what is it causing like, it doesn't matter what my intent is. My intent wasn't harm at that point. My intent wasn't to actually make people think that unfattening was the ultimate goal in life and fat was bad and unfat was good and all that. But that's what the name insinuated. And so my intent kind of became irrelevant. It was, well, what's the outcome? And okay, well, I need to change what I'm doing. And that's that's the conversation I'm trying to have around the way we talk about food and the way we talk about health. Um, because I think it's really important. And I think we've 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 got down to this wellness narrative now even something as simple as drinking water has become like capitalized on in terms of like becoming this wellness trend and it's so ridiculous like it's just water (laughs) yeah it's 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 a funny thing the water thing does in a weird way make me laugh now because it has become this odd thing that's like a symbol of wellness and yes being hydrated is good for you and yes drinking enough water is good for you but it's become this kind of weird internet thing now that I find that even if you'll get like random you'll get like a message from someone and they'll be like hey hope you're having a good day make sure you've drunk enough water and it's kind of like synonymous with like take care of yourself now it's this whole hydration cult it's it's weird though right and it's it's something as simple as water and yet it's just it, it is the way that we think about our health and the way that we think about our bodies. And it's, I, I, I think that all of it boils down to, and I perhaps could have called the book this as well, that it all boils down to this, this thought that our health is completely under our control and that our health is a personal responsibility. And it's not like that might sound quite scary mm-hmm. for some people, but it's, but that's actually a really good thing. Like The main thing that defines our health and how long we live is is who we were born to and where in the world we were born. And we we don't like to admit that, but it's true. Like and it's, you know, I I can do as much health seeking behaviors, health promoting behaviors as I like, but the main thing that's going to define how long I live and and how well I do is because I was born in into a white middle class family. And 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 that's that, you know, we we don't talk about that, but we like to talk about keep hydrated and (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean that's that's not comfortable either for a lot of people we we don't like to give up that level of control and we've have always been told that well well it's you are what you eat isn't it this is what Mm. we've always been told you know so 
if there's anything wrong with you, it's your fault. And it's not great, is it? It's not a great place to be. Obviously, all of that stuff brings with it a lot of guilt and shame. And that stuff mm-hmm. in itself is is really, really harmful. But it then out of that gets birthed this this thing of, well, now we can sell you something to help you gain that control back. And and that's where it becomes a bit sinister, where where we need to challenge both. And and I think challenging the crux of it is really important. And that's a, a lot of reason why I'm having these conversations around weight and health as well, because I think a lot of it is so wrapped up around what we believe around our body size. Um, but at the same time, that's once we start challenging that stuff, we realize how all of this all of these these charlatans actually are able to to take grip and go well let me sell you my plan let me sell you my new my new solution to your autoimmune disease or let me sell you this this new solution to cancer that doesn't involve you having to have horrendous chemotherapy which you know obviously it, it's crap like you wouldn't want to unless you had to but it's but but it gets birthed out of that um and yeah, I think that the water wellness stuff kind of just fits in weirdly <laughs> to that whole narrative as well yeah. Yeah, you can see how it gets there. And it kind of leads me into the rise of these wellness gurus, if you like, on Instagram or Hmm. TV or wherever else who are kind of dishing out these claims to people. Let's let's discuss a little bit about one of your favorite online pastimes, I would say, which is uh, challenging the claims of some of these online people and trying Hmm. to Hmm. kind of like break through the myths. And people don't like it because they're trying to sell you something. Well, that, th- yeah, that is, that is a common theme, unfortunately, is that the, I mean, the internet is a wonderful place. It can be an incredible place to, mm-hmm. for community and for, for kind of reaching out and finding support around things and, and help and things around like chronic conditions. I've seen a lot of, there's been, there's amazing communities around things like lipedema, around kind of autoimmune diseases. It's amazing. But at the same time, it's also this, it's this new, and it is still new, although we kind of feel of it as having always been there now, but this this new phenomenon of giving everyone a platform. Um, and we, I mean, we, I, I don't want to sound like I'm making out that people shouldn't, but it's it means that there's so much more potential for harm when people use that platform to talk about things that they not always deliberately, but don't realize aren't true. Um, we we are we find it very difficult to distinguish between who is trustworthy on the internet. Um, having a title doesn't always mean something anymore. Um, and I, I try my hardest not to not to play off the fact that I that I have a doctor title too much because I think that this this kind of authority bias that is often used, where well I'm a doctor, therefore you must listen to me. Mm-hmm. Ironically the people I think causing a lot of harm around this kind of space are people who do have titles like that. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I grew when I first started in Instagram, even though I was, you know, misleading people by not showing my disordered eating habits in the background was because I had the word doctor, you know, in front of my name. And so people were like, Oh, well, I can trust him. And, but it's, I think, I think these, it's, it's hard to kind of, know how to talk about these conversations because everybody has a everybody has an opinion around this stuff and and I, and it doesn't mean that people's opinions aren't aren't valid but i do think we need to be cautious about about what's known as this whole upward social comparison where 
before the internet came along, we used to compare ourselves to our peer group. We used to kind of um, look at look at like our town or our or our like village and wherever we used to live or our community and and the the most kind of attractive person in that community was the person who was like oh they look great I want to look like them or you know mm. the person with the most defined abs oh I want to look like them and now we have the whole world to yeah. compare to and it's led us to this very strange situation where we think that somebody on the other end of the world who has ridiculous genetics um, who you know, like just, just looks the way that they do. Mm-hmm. We think that that's what we should look like. And it's become so visual because of the internet too. Yeah. And I know, I know I've steered away from the whole food and health advice, but bringing it back in that desire to look like a certain way, I think has fed a lot of the information that gets spread because people don't realize just how much of an impact things like genetics and and stuff that's out of their control has and so they think well I want to share what I'm doing because I look this way and everyone's always asking me how do I look like I do and well this is what I eat so I'm going to do a what I eat in a day and I'm going to share all my food meals and I'm going to share my exercises and it's and we just we feed off it um and people make money from it people do really well really well and so it's super easy to go from this is my exercise plan that I do to and these are the supplements I take and this is the way of eating that I've chosen to do and this is how few carbs I eat and it just yeah (laughs) it just it escalates so much um yeah yeah and we do need to challenge it we really do yeah it's just it's so hard and I don't know I actually don't know I don't know if I'm doing it in the right way I don't know how people will ask me how and I'm like I don't know like I just I think we need to be asking questions and when we're confident about something then then challenging it is good but there are so many things I don't challenge and I don't think people quite realize that where I'm I, I I hold back on an awful lot of stuff because I don't, I don't feel confident enough to have those conversations around topics. And I, and I, and I don't want to sound big headed, but I think that's something we don't quite do enough where we, we just, we get involved in everything. Yeah. Um, and, and we end up getting to a point where we don't actually know how to talk about something anymore because we didn't actually know as much as we thought we did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so, and so I think we need, we need to pick our battles, but we need to, we need to challenge stuff within our lane that, that we do know about because not challenging it is it has led to where we are at the moment um so yeah I mean that leads me quite nicely into it very specifically in your lane and in the lane of medicine and doctors and people who are in charge of our health a lot of the time so when we're talking about you know the the beliefs that you had around food and the relationship that you had with what you were eating and what you weren't eating that was that was still the case when you'd finished medical school. So you were mm. a doctor by that point, which then kind of leads me into the thing of, did doctors not always know what they need to know about food? And I don't, I don't want to say that in a negative way because obviously no, no, no. doctors do an, do an incredible amount of training and are wonderful people generally. But I know that you are now are doing further study into nutrition if I'm right in saying that yeah, and yeah. specifically nutrition do you is it right do you think that that is a specialty in itself do all doctors need to have slightly different training around nutrition is there something 
missing at the moment from what we're maybe getting from our doctors because I know that it's a very common situation and a common question around weight stigma in the field of medicine and how that then affects the care that people get I feel like I've probably asked you about six questions in one yeah yeah there's two topics there no 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 that's good so there's there's a conversation around the training that doctors get in regards to nutrition Mm -hmm. um and then there's there's a separate conversation around um weight stigma um and there there is a link between the two but i think they're they're broadly two different topics um so to to take the to take the nutrition one it is a common thing right where people are going well, what do you mean doctors only have this much training in nutrition that's ridiculous you do you tell me they don't know about food and like yeah like we we actually don't have that much training in nutrition um and i talked about this in the book in the sense of i'm not sure it's so clear cut in regards to whether or not that's a bad or a good thing and the reason being is because <laughs> We, we kind of assume that anything that has to do with health, doctors should know about. But, but, but there's only so many years at medical school that we can do. Yeah. And if we're going to take all of the time to learn all of these different pathways in the body, that all the different drugs and metabolites that affect, just let's just take one organ, the, the thyroid. Like If we're le- taking all the time to learn that, there is so much to learn. So, so much. And that stuff actually when it comes to working in the hospital and dealing with disease, that stuff is more important to know. Um, we don't like that because again, we, we have this assumption that food is medicine and that we should be able to, that food should actually be the most important thing in all conversations. And that's an issue in and of itself. But there are such things as dietitians and nutritionists. Like they are, they yeah. are a profession and they are a very important profession. Um, just like, you know, so my, my partner's a physiotherapist and we learned a little bit about physiotherapy at medical school, but we didn't learn loads, but nobody's kind of coming up to me and going, well, what do you mean? You don't know what exercises to give me because my, you know, because of this particular condition, but you're a doctor, you should know. I'm like, well, no, because that's not my, that's not my job role. Um, I need to know enough to be able to have an idea as to when you need referring to a physiotherapist, right? Like I need to know enough but not too much that I think I'm the expert and you don't need referring. And that's one of the issues that's currently going on where there are lots of doctors that are learning uh, bits about nutrition mm-hmm. and suddenly believing that they don't need any help and suddenly yeah. thinking, well, now I, cause we like, uh, and people might not like this, but I, I feel like I can say this doctors have big egos as a statement in general, that's a pretty solid I mean, one. I feel like I watch a lot of medical dramas. <laughs> I feel like that's, you know, that's something people say, like to be a good doctor, sometimes you need a big ego because you've got, a, you're saving people. That's what you need to do. Yeah. So like some of it, I think comes out of a protective nature of you're making decisions sometimes that are incredibly stressful mm-hmm. and you can get wrong. And unless you have some form of ego, you almost can never make those decisions because that's a lot of pressure and a lot of fear. And so if you don't have enough belief in yourself and belief that you're correct, then actually you end up being um, uh, kind of almost frozen in not being able to make any decisions. So I think some of it has been born out of that, but also I think it just gets born out of the fact that we feel like we're, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's the type of personalities that attract, get attracted to studying medicine in the first place. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not going to, I'll get myself in trouble with other doctors if I go down that route too much, <laughs> but we do, we have big egos. And so, when we start learning about something, 
we then think, oh, well, we're, we're really clever. Like we've done medicine, like we've learned about science. We know how to read research papers. So, so now I know about nutrition and I can, it's great because my, my patients love it when I talk about food because it's so much nicer than drugs. And, uh, what I've read so far has kind of made me think that food can be medicine. So this is great. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a nutritionist and I don't need to refer. I don't need to. And, and, and actually every other doctor should know about food too. So I'm going to now talk about how it's a really bad thing that we don't teach medical students about nutrition. And this is really bad. And it's a failing of medical school. And you know what, I'm going to go and teach everyone about nutrition because, because I'm the right person to do that, right? Like I'm a doctor. So and that's one of the big problems too, is that we like to hear and learn from other doctors. That's kind of like a thing in medical school is that it's doctors teaching doctors. There's a big teaching mentality and that's great but not when it's not your specialty. And and there are too many doctors starting nutrition courses that haven't had proper and official nutrition training. And they're going and they're teaching other doctors about food without an understanding that it's a completely different scientific discipline. Whether we want to believe it or admit it or not, you can't, you have to know how to read nutrition literature and nutrition research in a different way it's not the same thing you can't just take somebody out of medical school and give them some nutrition papers to read and then they're a nutritionist it's a learning process it's a learned science mm -hmm. and um so i i i think we we do need to be teaching medical students a bit about nutrition but i think that we need to have dietitians and nutritionists teaching them first off that's really important and I think we need to teach them in a way that un gives them an understanding of the complexity here that actually, and a real, almost like a bit of fear, they need a bit of fear instilled in them as to food is good and it's important, but you know what? You can do a lot of harm here if you don't recognize not only people's relationship with food and the impact that your advice can have, but also the way that you might lead people down a path that is, you know, there's a reason why no dietitians use the phrase food is medicine. Like there's a reason that doesn't get used within the profession of people who are actually trained in it. It's just doctors saying that. So yeah, that would be my, <laughs> I don't know if I really answered your question, but I, like, no, I think there's, you did. there's some issue there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there definitely seems to be something going on. Um, I mean, and that's even, you know, from my privileged position of not being someone who's ever been sent away from a doctor and you know, told, oh, you just need to lose weight, for example. It's very confusing and people, you might not always know where to start. And if that's like blanket advice from a doctor and it doesn't take into account, like you say, you know, people's relationship with food, it doesn't adequately explain what's going on there. I don't always think it, I don't know, It's it feels like a difficult, difficult area. Yeah. Also, well, this is where I think there's then a link between this conversation around nutrition and the um the the blanket prescription of weight loss weight loss advice that happens within within medicine mm -hmm. um we practice medicine in this country and and relatively globally in a very weight centric manner which means that we we consider weight to be one of the most important factors about our health and we often think of it as the first thing to look at and the first thing to change when it comes to our health I mean, I'm going to go, I'd say go out on a limb here and say, I think this is wrong. <laughs> like, this is not the way that I believe that medicine should be practiced for many reasons. And this is irrespective of whether or not 
um, weight and fat tissue might actually be having an impact on your health. Because I'm not here to to kind of go down a route of going, well, weight can never impact health because it can do, but this is actually not the point of the conversation here. The point of the conversation is, well, and then what? Like, what do we do next? And what is the advice that we're giving? And are we actually doing any good through this advice or are we doing harm? Mm-hmm. We have a real, we have a problem within the medical community of stigmatizing patients for their size. Yeah. Um, both deliberately and consciously and unconsciously. There's both, there, there's bias on both sides of the spectrum there. Um, conscious in the fact that we've grown up in a society, whether we're doctors or not, that glorifies thinness, mm-hmm. that, that, that puts it on a pedestal, that makes it something that should be, um, that is seen as something to attain at all costs, that it's like, this is what your, this is what your purpose is in life, almost, for some people, that that's the way that they see their relationship with their body and what they look like. And we also have this assumption that weight is really easy to control. We see it as something, even though it's obviously not, Yeah. even though it's so clear that it's not, for some reason, we just, we, we don't want to believe that. And we, we treat it as something that is a personal responsibility and is easy. And neither of those things are true. No. Um, and and there might be people listening who are like, what? What do you what do you mean? Because this is this is a new thing for some people, and that's perfectly fine. It's a shame that it's a new thing, but just to just to kind of touch on one of those things, then is there is a very very clear association between people living in lower socioeconomic um, status areas of the country in the UK, so people with in poverty, people with a lot less privilege, a lot less money, a lot less access to things, mm-hmm. and increasing body size. And if we're like, if you're going, well, so people in poverty are more likely to be larger, but this is their fault, right? Like, and this is, this is something they can change, but but is it? Because there are reasons why our body size changes and has a tendency to go up depending Mm. on when, when our amount of money and and our, and our socioeconomic status goes down because our relationship with our environment and the food that we are able to eat and the movement we are able to do and the amount of levels of stress that we have on our life changes so you know you're a, you're a, a single mother or single parent living at home two kids two jobs you get home at night you you live in an area where we have we have issues in the UK and in in many um, more developed countries around the world where we have what's known as food deserts or more appropriately named food apartheid where you can't access food that you would stereotypically think of as being healthy if you live in certain areas of the UK. It's not that you're just going, well, you're just choosing to buy the wrong things. No, they, they physically can't get to it. Supermarkets don't build in poor areas. Like there's a reason why one of the things to determine if you're privileged enough and middle-class enough to be looking at buying a house, there's a reason why the, 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 the prevalence of whether there's a waitrose there or not has a big impact on housing prices. Like there's a link there between the food, the food environment, the supermarkets that exist and the quality of the housing, the quality of the schooling, the quality of the healthcare and the the, the, the levels of poverty within that, within that community. Like that's not, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, you know, supermarkets aren't going to go into locations where they don't think they can make money. And when supermarkets do, they have different items of food in that store. 
and so we there's so much complexity there and you could do it yeah. you could do a whole a whole podcast season on food environments and its link with with poverty and the fact that the the highest density of fast food outlets are in the poorest areas of the UK and all this kind of stuff but we don't talk about any of that we don't we don't like to acknowledge that actually the vast majority of the weight that we live at is uh, is not under our control because it feels disempowering and it also challenges a lot of the stuff that we like to believe around our health being in our control and well no but i can lose weight if i just try harder and if i just find the right diet and i just i just cut carbs harder this time and maybe i'll do keto that's that's what i didn't do right the last time it's keto's the real the real magic and it, mm. it's just and doctors aren't immune from this stuff i wasn't like I, you know and i'm not every doctor but we're not they've all grown up in a society where their parents have probably dieted or they've seen friends or they've whether they were the the fat kid or not the fat kid they've then seen fat as being something that's not good the fat kid gets bullied they might have been the bully they might have been bullied themselves mm. this is not something that they can just escape from magically because they're now a doctor and they've just ignored all this stuff that's sitting in their brain from years and years of growing up as a kid and learning what self-worth was and and then you get to medical school and it's about health and you go oh well, this is why i can now justify my feelings around weight because it's now about health so it's okay. And and it's one of these things where it, if you can find validation in what you believe, it's much easier to carry on with your life. And it doesn't mean what you believe is necessarily wrong, but when it is, it's a lot easier to find arguments as to why you can just keep believing it than actually challenge it. And 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 we we live in a society where weight is seen as, as I said, something we can control something that's easy something that causes ill health and something that we should be doing everything in our power to change and that filters into the medical profession and so we lose all the nuance of well actually it really matters where the fat is on your body because some fat is really protective of your health some fat can be more harmful to your health um we lose the nuance of well actually there are other things that we can do that don't have anything to do with the number on the scales that will improve your health but weight loss is the thing that's mentioned first yeah but that's the problematic nature of the way we talk about this stuff. Um, and it and it does stigmatize. It, whether we want to believe it or not, it causes people to feel, har it causes harm, it causes shame, causes guilt around what people think they look like. It causes us to have this really rubbish relationship with our bodies, with our food, with exercise, with sleep, like even so with water. Oh, <laughs> the circle's going. I oh, know. I feel like I could honestly talk to you all day about this because there's so many different bits in your book and the, the factors and the learning how to sort of break down these headlines there's, there's so much stuff that I want to ask you but one thing I want to definitely make sure we get to because mm. I think it's something that people more generally are just starting to realize and that's around BMI very hot topic of conversation and also that had quite a lot of questions in about so I think it's it'll be good to answer them here so kind of as you were saying about you start talking about weight in terms of health and it always makes me think you know in any comment section of anybody who dares to be fat in public or on the internet mm, like mm. anybody who dares dares to exist dares yeah. to exist you know yeah exactly any comment section you will always have the people in there who 
shout and shout about how it's not about image it's not about body image it's about health and you know try and berate people and tell them tell them about their own body under the guise of health when you know everybody knows excuse my life they, they don't give a shit about the person's healthy they're talking to they really don't there's a great phrase for it it's the it's the whole concern trolling thing yes it's it's where they're yeah. they are they are pretending to care pretending to have concern as an excuse to troll someone for their size and to and to actually belittle them and and speak down to them but it's fine because it's about health right it's not about no 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 i i i think you're great and you should be you're you're beautiful but you're unhealthy so you need to sort it out exactly that so this was one of the sections that i don't want to say enjoyed the most but maybe enjoyed the most in your book was where you talked about bmi and how, why for the individual it doesn't necessarily work and also a multitude of studies that were included that show you know even among larger groups of people why bmi isn't the be all and end all i want to say that we think it is would you be able to talk a little bit about that if we can (laughs) say a little bit or you know another hour (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean it's we like numbers and we like scales and we like these we we like these definitions and we like to put people into brackets and we like to put ourselves into brackets mm. um but just because we like to do it it doesn't mean that it's useful it doesn't mean that it's actually helpful and look the the bmi itself was was never created as any sort of um measure of health it was it was some guy back in the 1800s who a mathematician who wanted to look at whether there was a comparison between people's height and people's weight um just like, you know, if you take your if you take your foot and you place it on your forearm, like your foot will be almost always the same size as your forearm. Like there are relationships between our the proportions of our body, and that's interesting. Um and uh the BMI was interesting <laughs> for them back then. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, insurance companies in the US needed a new way of charging people more for their for their um for their insurance and the BMI became something that was used for health and it became adopted by medical professions as well because again we like scales we like numbers we like being able to to have an easy tick box of like oh they're under this number okay cool that's fine we can move on to the next problem in quotes Hmm. and it's become so ingrained in society as this thing that we just accept like even though we know full well that the vast majority of it is complete nonsense like how does it make any sense that magically from the number 24 to the number 25, you're suddenly at a point where you should try and lose weight now? Like, how does that make any sense? Like you can change, you can change BMI categories overnight, depending on how much food you ate the previous day, you know? And so, and so, and so you're, or, or, you know, or how much water you've drunk or, you know, how much alcohol you've had, if you're dehydrated or whatever you can change overnight. And so, you measure yourself the next day, you see that number, you work out, you're like, oh, I'm 25. Shit. I must be unhealthy because I'm categorized as overweight now. But that makes no sense. Why, why is it a 25? This is not something that is reliable. Um, and there are many reasons for that. Um, one of them, generally, the, the BMI is just a measure of our weight. And that's that our weight is determined by all sorts of different things. And we have muscle, we have bone, we have fat tissue, we have all sorts of things in our body but it doesn't tell us where that is. And fat can be, as I've said already, fat can be protective based on where it is. Fat can be potentially harmful based on where it is because fat can almost be seen a bit like an organ. 
where it can produce hormones, it can produce substances. And if those hormones are causing, um, if there's too much of certain hormones, and that will depend on where in the body it is, sometimes mm. that can be detrimental. Um, it's one of the reasons why um, uh, why people, um, when they get to a very low body fat percentage, they can often find that their periods stop um, because we require fat for hormone production. Mm-hmm. And so the opposite can sometimes be true. And so depending on where that fat is, if there's lots of it, it can sometimes cause too many of those hormones. And so, you know, it becomes something that is then might be causing some issues with with certain symptoms. But the BMI doesn't tell us about that. The BMI has no ability to be able to tell us where that fat is. It just gives us just gives us a number. And it means that there are so many people that get told to go on diets that even if we were able to be black and white about this and go, well, let's let's suspend disbelief for a second and say diets work, diets are easy, diets will make you lose weight, diets will make you keep all the weight off, cool. Even if that was true, we've got lots of people who aren't unhealthy, despite the fact that they are over a certain BMI category, yet we give them blanket advice to lose weight. And if diets weren't harmful, then maybe that would, wouldn't really matter so much. But the reality is, is that they often are. Dieting is not this neutral intervention that we like to think of it as. Dieting not only really negatively impacts our relationship with food, but it also does all sorts of things internally, physiologically as well, to our health, to our to the way that our body um, reacts. There's a reason why we often gain the weight back again, because the body is, thinks that something is happening that is bad, and it hormones change and different levels of things change to try and get that weight back on because you're going it's panicking because we're 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 designed to 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 survive like in from an evolutionary perspective you don't want to lose weight losing weight would be terrible like we're we're designed to keep it on like we're fighting a losing battle um and we'd often be a lot healthier if we just stopped trying to lose weight and stopped trying to diet but BMI, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. there are, so this, is what, this is what you said about if we've got another hour, this is the problem with these conversations. There's so mm-hmm. much there. So I, I hope these are, these are prompting things and thoughts and questions in people because that's the point here. But yeah, there's a whole, the, you know, if you take everybody between the, um, uh, the kind of the, the category of BMI of 30 to 35, which we see as quite stereotypically, well, you must be unhealthy because that's categorized as obese. 30% of them, have no issues whatsoever when you're looking at them from blood blood test perspective you know heart rate blood pressure things like that Mm. they're perfectly metabolically healthy but we're telling them all to diet and on the other end of the spectrum you've got people who um have what are you know classed as a normal bmi and 30 percent of them are actually unhealthy from a metabolic perspective but they're assumed to have health yeah so this reliance on bmi does everybody a disservice obviously it has more of a negative impact on those who are who are seen as overweight or seen as obese but actually it even impacts people who who don't fall into those categories because it leads to them being investigated less and so it's kind of in everyone's best interest to be fighting this stuff as well yeah. <laughs> like you know you think it's not affecting you it, it probably is you know you, we all know that friend who we think is healthy we think is fine just because they're thin it's like this assumption that they must be you look at what they're eating and a lot of them like they probably don't have much nutrients going in like i had that mm. friend at school who could eat anything they wanted and always looked exactly the same and they often were just eating pizza <laughs> and you know food isn't medicine but 
it can be important that if you're just eating pizza that is you know where's the veg like tomatoes don't count on a pizza yeah. <laughs> That's, you know can't, can't justify that one but so we, we we make these assumptions these assumptions go both ways um and to kind of bring it in a bit of circle and bring it home a little bit because otherwise we could just keep ranting all over the place about this mm-hmm. stuff um bmi gets used to discriminate it gets used to discriminate when it comes to healthcare access um be that things like fertility treatment um be that things like joint replacements um it gets used to discriminate when it comes to things like adoption um whether or not it's officially in the criteria or not it is used um i have had many many stories shared with me from people who have it's very clear that the way that they have been assessed when it comes to trying to adopt is so they you know it's seen as a marker of their health and so well we're not going to let let someone who might be unhealthy to adopt a child we need to give it to a healthy family oh, that's and, given me goosebumps that's horrifying yeah yeah you know people will, will use these things and go well but we want children to go to healthy families it's like yeah but the bmi is not a marker of health mm. and and you know what if you give what what if what if some, a, a family adopts a child and then they and then they take up smoking are you going to take the child away no you're not because that's seen as a choice like it's like you know well, you know you've adopted them now so it's fine now you can be unhealthy if you'd like Ugh. but we make these snap judgments on people based on their size and that's not a that's not a determining fact that's not a judgment of whether or not that's a loving family that they might be going to and and you know it's it's that's just one example and it's it's more under the radar because it's because people will deny that that takes place and it's not officially a part of the criteria but then you just look at something like fertility treatment yeah and you go and you go there is a conversation to be had around for some people the because fat can impact hormone levels for some people the placement and amount of fat tissue on their body might be impacting their fertility however even if it is, is the solution to refuse them help and to tell them to diet? Because that makes no sense to me. Because it's not just a matter of, well, we haven't found the right method of dieting yet. We're we're just going to keep looking. Because once we've found it, it's fine. We can get them to lose weight. They'll magically be healthy again. and, uh, And then we can help them with fertility treatment. Bullshit. That's like, that's such nonsense. It's like, we know that for the vast, vast majority of people, their weight is not going to change drastically. It's not going to suddenly re- reduce because they go on a new diet. And so what we're doing is essentially permanently refusing them to have any help in a condition that isn't entirely under their control, that it may or may not be impacting their fertility, but we're just refusing help because we, we're going, well, no, but you need to lose weight first. And it's, it's like, it's horrible ethically Mm. the only way you can justify that from a moral or an ethical perspective is if weight is a personal responsibility and it's not it's not you uh, even if we go to the and people don't like me using the extremes but i think it's important because it proves the proves the point and it's relevant you take somebody who is in a in a lot of poverty right who might be at a larger end of the weight spectrum because of a lot of factors that involve in, around the, the life that they live, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just going to refuse them to have any sort of fertility treatment. That feels very discriminatory to me. Mm. Like it's not that you, I don't know how that's justified. And again, I don't want people, I don't want to harp on about the poverty stuff too much because then people are like, but 
but then therefore weight is just a poverty thing. It's, it's not. It's just an example of how it can impact the environment we live in and how it can impact our relationship with our bodies and what our bodies look like and things like that because this stuff isn't simple i know it's it's one of very very many factors that you then discuss but this you know yeah. like you say a podcast isn't isn't long enough to go into all of those <laughs> i think it's de- it was definitely something that i wanted to highlight because even on kind of like an abstract basis where you can look at things and say okay yeah obviously not in all circumstances bmi is going to work and people sort of have their own justifications for that and the one you always hear is something like oh well you might you know, tell a bodybuilder that their they ha- their BMI is quote unquote too high because they've got a lot of muscle mass or whatever. It's like, why is that easier for us to accept and not just that it doesn't work for necessarily anyone? And that that was something that I took away and felt was really valuable because you gave a lot of statistical and scientific and backed up and very understandable reasons why that wasn't the case. And I feel like it just gave a lot more backup to be able to confidently say things like, you know, somebody who weighs more isn't necessarily unhealthier. And that's like, that's something that we all need to know and to get into our heads to just leave people alone to live their own lives in my own book. Yeah. And that that's, again, that's one of the, to go back to one of the questions we had earlier that like, that's one of the issues with the internet is that yeah. I, I would argue it doesn't make it okay but I would argue a lot of it just comes from people's own insecurities about what they look like. And it, it, it in this ability to abuse someone for what they look like when it comes to their size with the justification of, well, it's not abuse because it's about health. So it's okay. I'm just trying to help. It makes people feel more confident about their themselves. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, so it's often not about the person that they're attacking or talking about. It's often very much about them. And and it's about their own insecurities with their body and what they look like and what they how they view themselves and it doesn't give them a pass. But I think it's I think it's interesting to understand some of that stuff and go, well actually we we need to we need to start challenging this stuff not just not just the concern trolls who are think that they've won some argument by throwing the word diabetes around online but actually it's we need to start challenging this from the bot from from the ground up of going well how do we how are we teaching kids about this stuff like how are we how are we just allowing this stuff to exist within traditional media why are we allowing bloody michael mosley yet again to do another 21 day diet program on the bbc why Mm. like what why 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 are we doing that like why are we doing it at the point of coming out of lockdown when everybody is incredibly insecure around their body size because the government have made very abusive statements in regards to people's body size and it's a responsibility that we have and we owe it to the nhs to lose weight like why why are we not why are we not sticking up for not just other people but ourselves around this and going we need to cut this stuff out like we need to stop allowing people to sell their next diet book that claims to have found a solution to weight gain we need to stop allowing people to blame individuals for their size be that on social media be that on traditional media we need to stop inviting people on talk shows that clearly have an a very abusive attitude towards people 
but it gets views. So, oh, we'll just keep inviting him. Mm. We, you know, this this goes much deeper than just than just a you know one conversation around around BMI and fertility treatment. But but it all it's all related, and and I I, I think I think we need to start we need to start having conversations about it. We need to start recognizing that it's not okay to just keep going the way that it is. Um, because it's, even if you completely disagree, not you, the, the royal you, even if you completely disagree with me and are like, no, but being fat is unhealthy. What's changed? Like what good has come out of the last 10 years? Yeah. What good has this increasing narrative of telling people they're fat and they should change it? What has that done? Has it caused any sort of societal weight loss? No. Has it caused people to have a better relationship with their food? No. Has it caused veg sales to go up and people to eat more nutritious food? No. Like, <laughs> you know, the only thing it might have directly caused is, ironically, more people to choose a, plant, a, a plant-based diet because they believe that eating vegan is going to cause them to lose weight. You know, there's stuff I, I like to be a bit inflammatory for certain things, but you know that 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 is it's it's undeniable. Unfortunately, it's it, there are many many good reasons to eat lots of veg, but the fact that you think it's going to make you thin is not a good one. Like this is the stuff that there hasn't been any real good outcomes from this over the last ten years. All it's done is made people feel more afraid to exist in the body that they have. So even if you disagree with me on the health stuff, like like wake up like this is not it's not okay ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions, and the first one comes in from Trina Louise, um, who asks... Is eating brunch unhealthy? I am unnecessarily woken up by my mum because she thinks if I eat breakfast past nine o'clock, I'm trying to be unhealthy already. (laughs) End of question. Um, (laughs) No, no, not at all. You don't need to worry about that. Um, uh, We we get bogged down with, with food timing. And I think the craze of intermittent fasting has encouraged some of that um and not a good craze so yeah intermittent fasting has encouraged us to be a bit more worried about when we eat at certain times and things like that the only general advice is trying not to eat just before going to bed because it can be good to have a period of time before going to sleep to allow our kind of things to digest a bit before we try and actually go off and sleep and things it can improve our 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 sleep quality so that's great but it's not gonna magically make things 
make us unhealthy eating brunch is fine uh, you can actually be a bit facetious with your mother if you like and say well look mum any time I choose to eat after I wake up is technically breakfast um because uh-huh. it, that is the word it break fast that's all it means so whenever your first meal of the day is it is technically breakfast I love brunch um it's yeah it's great no don't worry about your timing in the morning if you're hungry eat some food if you're not hungry you don't have to eat unless you want to you can wait until lunch like honoring your hunger is a good thing we need to get back to listening to our bodies and what it's trying to tell us and not trying to fit to rigid rules just because we think that we should next question is from barbara and she says i'd like to ask dr walrich what they think of detoxing e.g your liver I've recently seen some quite influential model taking quite a radical approach, undergoing a colon cleanse once a year, drinking very high amounts of water, taking supplements and almost no food for a few days, and then claiming that in a day or two they felt amazing. I was quite sceptical, she says. Yeah, you have every right to be sceptical because it's utter nonsense. Um, <laughs> at best, it, 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 um, it does nothing. And at worst, it can be really harmful. Um, You cannot detox your body through food or drink or starving yourself or fasting or whatever you would like to call it. It just doesn't happen. Your liver does that. Your kidneys do it. Your body sorts itself out. The only thing you need to detox potentially is alcohol. Um, But that's because alcohol is actually a drug. Um, uh, The ethanol is a drug within alcohol. So yeah, food is not drugs food is not medicine strange that and it outcomes full circle um but uh yeah you, you can't detox with that kind of stuff it's nonsense um colon cleanses ironically can be incredibly harmful to you they can completely mess up your gut microbiome because you're flushing a whole bunch of stuff out especially the coffee enemas that people have decided that they want to be doing stop it stop it's wrong hole um <laughs> just just no it's not it doesn't work. Like it's just silly. And people have started to be a bit sneaky with it and be like, oh no, you're just supporting your body's natural detoxification pathways. Look, eating food, getting exercise and sleeping supports your body's natural detoxification pathways. Not some weird juice cleanse or, or, you know, supplement only food regime for a week. So it's nonsense, complete nonsense. Um, but it makes people feel in control but don't do it, please. Please don't. So you're quite right, Barbara. Not not necessarily the one that you, that you want to be following. <laughs> Last question is from a listener who asked to be anonymous. And they asked, is there any diet you think is actually a healthy way to lose weight or a healthy lifestyle? Or are you against any form of dieting? Um, so uh, there's two things there. Uh, Firstly, I'm not against dieting. I'm against people not being informed as to what it actually can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is people have body autonomy. Like if you want to intermittently fast and or just not eat food for two days, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I'm here to ask you why. That's what I like to do. I like to ask. I'm like, well, okay, so, but why do you want to go on a diet? What is the reason? Do you want to do that because you think you need to lose weight? Do you want to, and and if that's the reason, well, why do you think you need to lose weight? Or do you want to go on a diet because you want to be healthier? And I'm not here to tell your reasons wrong, um, because 
our relationship with our body and our and food is complicated and if and you you know you might be really uncomfortable with the way that you look and you might feel that that is going to improve matters and it i i might point out that you know if you ask people who it, it, it doesn't automatically improve things but mm-hmm. that's a separate conversation but but usually what i say is well let's let's focus on something else like if you're my patient and you're you're asking advice and i can give advice in a personal manner let's let's actually focus on things that are going to improve your health and if your body size changes as an outcome cool so what that's not the point here let's let's focus on getting some more nutrients in let's focus on some nutrition let's focus on looking at your dietary pattern if you'd like to change that um let's have a look at what else is going on in your life uh the last year and a half has been incredibly stressful and you might think that the reason you feel unhealthy at the moment is because you've put on weight but actually it might be because we're spending a lot of the time sitting down in front of the tv or we Mm -hmm. haven't really been out and about or our mental health is is has been suffering um and they're all linked uh so maybe getting a form of routine in to your to your life that and the important thing here that isn't linked to what you look like might be really good that might it's going to be far more sustainable if it's not related to what you look like because that's that's exercise shouldn't be purely about changing your 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 body size mm-hmm. um or you could have a different goal that isn't uh, necessarily as problematic you might want to get stronger you might want to build some muscle that's cool um we might need to look at your sleep and your sleep patterns and your sleep habits and so, you know, and I, I think we forget about this stuff. We forget about actually, well, why does weight always have to be the conversation? Why does weight loss and dieting always have to be like, the, like I get, I get doctors who push back and they're like, yeah, but, but I want to be, but this is about health. Okay, cool. Well, let's focus on health then. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like, okay, cool. For some people though, it's not about health and it is about what they look like and it is about their size because because we're conditioned to think about that stuff. We're conditioned to be obsessed about that stuff. It, it, it has such an impact on our worth. And then actually I'd go with, well, you know what else is also incredibly useful for health? Mental health, things like therapy, things like talking about this stuff, thinking of, like identifying where these thought patterns come from because this stuff matters too. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm again, to, to kind of sum that one up, I'm not here to tell you what to do. And I am, and I do care about your health. And it, this isn't, this isn't like, I'm not throwing away weight loss because I don't care about health. And I just, and I want to, I want to be an activist. Like it's not, that's not the point. It's cause I do care about your health and it's not healthy to be obsessing over what we look like and to be obsessing over weight loss being the goal for everything because it's objectively, it's not a good plan. Um, so let's, let's work together and actually get to a place where you feel better in yourself and if your weight's changed cool if it hasn't you'll still feel better that's great (laughs) that's the point i really like that that's nice let's just say like this is what you wish everybody was told by their doctor and it isn't (laughs) yeah i would yeah because also you know what if we had these conversations and we had these conversations in these contexts in situations where weight might actually directly be having a big impact on health we can have these conversations in far less problematic manners we're no longer we're no we no longer have all of this background noise of being discriminated for our entire lives about what we look like hanging over our head 
that means that we have no ability to discern what is real and what is not anymore. Mm. We don't know what's just stigma anymore because it's so hard to understand because we we've caused the problem. Like, you know, we as in doctors, but also society in general, we've caused this problem where we need to take two steps back to be able to go one step forward. Um, and we're, 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 we're just, we're just pushing ahead because, because it feels because we, we don't like to go backwards. Um, but we're never going to get to a healthy place unless we start undoing some of this stuff first. Um, both healthy in terms of language and healthy in terms of actual health too. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, things like government targets around food environments, some of those are really good, but then you throw in the whole, let's put calorie counts on every single food item in restaurants. Ugh. And we go, well, and we go, wait, hang on, but, you, but food advertising, like food advertising to children. Yeah. We need to put a stop to that stuff because it is about our food environment. Putting calorie counts on, on every item in that, what's that going to do? Mm. Like Nothing even, good. even research says it doesn't make any difference. America's had calorie counts on their food items for years doesn't make any difference people just ignore them after a while so so what 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 do you think is going to happen it's almost like there's no scientific basis behind it whatsoever (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) yeah remember if you want to get in touch with us or have any questions for future episodes email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com Before you go, I've got three things that I ask every guest, and that's if people listening want to find out more about what we've been talking about today. Could you please recommend us something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Read, I am going to say my book. And the reason being is that even if you don't like it, uh, I've linked a whole bunch of other books at the end of the book as well, which I think are helpful. Um, so, very good. So very good. I, I, I honestly, yeah, I, I honestly do think it's a good place to start. That that's the purpose of me writing it. I, I've tried to go from a from an assumption that you don't know anything about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so that would be my my recommendation to read. It's called Food Isn't Medicine. Sold at all good bookstores. Um, and uh, something to listen. <sighs> So you're just going to be big headed again, but I would, I would like to plug my podcast because, um, it's called willing to be wrong and I'm trying to have conversations like this. So conversations around Mm. these topics, talking to people about their background, their relationship with food, um, their relationship with their body, things like weight stigma, things like, um, conditions like lipedema that aren't talked about very often, um, uh, things like, uh, the way that food can be sold as a cure for things like multiple sclerosis. And I don't think these topics are talked about very much. And so I think that these are that we don't pretend to have answers. It's asking questions. And I do think we need to do that more. Yeah. Um, so that would be my, my thing to listen thing to watch. I don't know. <laughs> less TV. Can we go the other <laughs> way around? Can we just I go mean, with yeah, of course. things to watch less TV? Let's 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 stop watching the 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 barrage and slew of dieting programs that keep coming out at the moment, and instead, uh, I don't know. Let's let's read a book. Let's go outside. Let's you know. Let's let's uh, chat with a friend. Like I don't know. I, I think yeah, that would that would probably be it. It sounds like a really cheesy thing to say, but but I think we watch a lot of stuff already. Yeah, um, no, I, <laughs> I get I get what you're saying in terms of you know if you want to watch something that's related to weight maybe just 
don't like i do i yeah. kind of get what well, you're the, saying in a way the problem is is it's it's there's not much out there that isn't that doesn't um that doesn't put weight loss on a pedestal yeah and you know because weight loss sells uh so you know i'd love i'd love to see programs where we talk about health of people without weight loss being part of the conversation i would love to see that they don't exist yet um so so yeah i i think i think it would be good and just avoid all of the health documentaries on netflix as well just like so that's what i mean about not watching things probably better to to avoid some of them because they're not they're a lot of them are really problematic unless you have a good background as to being able to to see some of this stuff when it comes up Mm. it's very easy to you know tv and film and documentaries can be very well laid out they can be very persuasive and they they touch on your emotions that's why we love film so much but you know it means that it's hard to be able to separate fact from fiction a lot of the time and we leave with a certain feeling at the end of a program without remembering yeah but hang on a sec didn't they say that and that sounds like nonsense like you just you don't remember that because you leave going oh but that person was so happy when they lost weight i should probably do that and it's we we forget a lot of the stuff around this yeah so less let's watch less (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening and thank you to josh for joining me if you enjoyed the episode i would love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using and if you've got an extra minute you can leave a rating and a review as well your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast see you next week 